Hello, welcome to episode 45 and a very special edition of the Cricket Her Vodcast. Now, last week we discussed the FICA report, the Federation of International Cricketers Association's report into professionalism in the women's game. This week we're delighted to have been joined by Tom Moffat, who's the chief executive of FICA, who sat down with Raf earlier this week to have a conversation about the report um, and watch out for a special guest cameo appearance by Poppy the Cat a few minutes in. Tom, the second FICA report on women's cricket has just been released. Um, why did FICA decide to start reporting on women's cricket in this way? So we, as a global, we're the world players body um, and our primary role is to advocate for players collectively, globally, and in particular those that we represent through the players associations that are members of FICA, um, of which there are 10. Um, and, and part of our role, as we see it, is also to actually contribute proactively to the advancement of the global game um, on behalf of the players that we represent. So we started producing these reports um, a couple of years ago with, with all of those things in mind, really. And these reports are about, um, for us, they're about tracking key data points and metrics around the world in relation to the structure of the game and player employment issues. Um, and they're also about advocating for players on key issues that are important to them. And as I mentioned, also contributing to the, to the cricket landscape and helping to inform stakeholders and decision makers as well. So that's really the thinking behind these reports. Fantastic. And it's quite an undertaking to gather so much data um, from all these different countries around the world. One of the things um, that we'd noted on Cricket Her was that the data for the current women's report um, was actually gathered in, we think, 2018 to 2019, um, but the report's only just been released. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about um, why there was that delay? Was it to do with COVID or was there some other issue? Yeah, so good question. And the answer is partially COVID. Um, in any event, there is always a time lag on the data that, um, that we roll out in these reports. And as you'll appreciate, it always takes time, particularly when you're working on a global level, to bring in the level of data that we want to um, that we want to bring together in these reports to help to inform our positions. Um, and these these reports are informed by player survey data. So the survey that this report relates to was completed in the end of 2019. Um, it also includes various other data points that we get in from other sources, including the players' associations around the world who are all operating um, in, in different parts of the world geographically also. So there is a time lag um, and, and we absolutely acknowledge that in the report and, and these reports are retrospective and, and they always have been. Um, we think it's important that they still, um, that we still bring them together in a way that can record what's happened during the report period and also look at, um, at recommendations and, and findings on a forward-looking basis as well. And I noted um, a lack of information in the report about a number of different countries, including Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, um, Afghanistan and, and Zimbabwe. What difficulties does FICA experience when trying to collect data from these places? I think, look, the reality is a lot of our ability to bring together the depth of data that we um, 
that we need to inform uh, um, our ability to have reliable positions is reliant on um, the strength of the players association in that particular country. Um, that's, that's where our predominant area of reach is, particularly in relation to player employment issues. Um, and so where there isn't that, um, that strength of players association or, or a players association in a general sense there, we've got more of a challenge in terms of getting data in. We always try and engage with, um, with governing bodies and other stakeholders as well. Um, that's, all, that's not always um, as practically easy as we would like it to be, um, given some of the dynamics around the world also. Um, but that, that's really the, the, the simple answer to that one. Okay. And there's some quite radical recommendations in the report, um, especially about actions that the ICC might take to kind of further progress women's cricket. So, for example, setting up a, a centralised fund to increase the pace of professionalism in the women's game um, and also agreeing global scheduling windows. Have you made any progress with the ICC to date in terms of kind of taking those centralised steps and trying to work towards enacting some of those recommendations? We've started dialogue with the ICC on some of these points um, and specifically on the back of the release of this report. And we do have dialogue with the ICC on various areas, areas in an ongoing way. Um, that's not at the level that we would like it to be in terms of um, both the, the nature of that dialogue and also the, um, the, that translating into action from the ICC and, and genuine leadership on some of these points as well. And part of that, as you know, Raf is um, is a product of the, the games governance in general and, and the way the games put together in terms of um, a lot of the power base lies in cricket with the members and the individual member countries, as opposed to the ICC being in a position to act as a genuine global governing body um, that can lead on some of these things. So we're always going to be advocating for that um, that dynamic shift and for the ICC to lead in this space. And we would like to work with them on those things on behalf of, of players and we'll continue to, to advocate for that. And um, obviously kind of relating to what you've just said, there was some stuff in the report about progress in women's cricket sometimes being quite frustratingly slow. Is that for you um, as kind of head of FICA, is that quite frustrating on a day-to-day -day basis or, or a year-by-year -year basis to see that um, sometimes progress doesn't happen as quickly as you might like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think we acknowledge that significant progress has been made in certain areas. And certainly if we look at um, some of the global events and, and the last Women's World T20 that was held in Australia at the start of last year was an example of just what can be achieved when... Um, when, when the game's properly invested in and promoted. And, and um, I think it's for those reasons that it probably frustrates us and, and players more um, when the general pace of change is so slow in other areas as well, because I think we can all see just how fantastic it can be. Um, and we would like to expedite um, the various other areas in, in, in moving the game forward as well. So that's, that's absolutely something that we... Um, we want to make sure that the women's game is at the forefront of mind at this time more than ever. Um, and we want to see a concerted effort from all stakeholders really to ensure that, that that's the case. This is a challenging time for everyone in sport, I think, with, with what we're experiencing with a global pandemic. Um, but we, we obviously want to make sure that 
for those reasons, if 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 no other reasons, um, the the women's game is forefront of mind and is prioritised at this time as well. Okay. One of my passions is um, women's test cricket, and um, the players surveyed as part of this latest report were specifically asked about the their views on the balance between the amount of ODI and T Twenty cricket that's played, but they weren't asked about about test crickets um why so that's a good question we we're looking at this globally um remember and not necessarily just through the lens of of the bigger countries and um i think the reality is when we zoom out and and these reports actually demonstrate that the game is largely still amateur in most cricket playing countries um which which our report highlights so and most countries don't actually have a long-form domestic structure or any significant domestic structure at all in, in the sense that we would normally view it. So we love test cricket and, and players love test cricket. And for us, it may be a longer-term aim to focus on that point and calling for more women's tests. Um, but for the purpose of this report and the research gathered um, to inform this report at this point in time, there are several pressing priorities to be advocating for um, including based on player feedback, creating the most effective schedule and structure of the game to grow the game and revenues and viewers, um, providing opportunities for volume of cricket and, and volume of competitive cricket across more countries, some of the basic fundamentals in employment terms and conditions, contracts, and actually building the foundations underneath international cricket as well. In our view, and, and certainly this is informed by the views of the players, those will be the pillars of, of a successful and vibrant global game long term and help it keep moving in the right direction at pace. Um, on the test cricket point, again, we need to do some more work on what the players globally want us to actually push for here and what role they think test cricket can play. We know in countries where test cricket is strong and still works commercially, that there's likely to be more of a support base for women's test cricket. Um, and I think ultimately, look, if it's a trade-off between women's tests um, for players or potentially more players having more viable career paths sooner, we need to know what the players would actually prefer because the reality is that something at this point in time would probably have to give for more women's tests to be, um, to be a significant reality. And, and certainly at this point in time, that's the case given the cost base required. So um, most players we speak to around the world are also quite strong on the women's game evolving in its own way, certainly structurally, and not necessarily copying the men's game. And in terms of the structure of the game, we actually think it would be a mistake for the women's game to, to directly copy what the men's game's done. And the men's game, as you know, Raf, is really a complete mess in terms of its structure. And if you started with a blank canvas, you certainly wouldn't end up with what we've got now. Um, in terms of bilateral international cricket, it's effectively a, a rolling blob of, of two-way deals. Um, that's, you know, in, that's very difficult to unwind. And the women's game has an opportunity to learn from that. And I guess to, to finish on the, the test cricket point, and that's certainly not to say that the test cricket discussion doesn't need to happen in more detail. Um, in our view, if, if there's a role for tests down the line that in, in, a, in a more significant way, um, the key is that it needs to fit within a really clear structure of the game to ensure quality and, and longevity as well.
Right. I think that's really important and interesting point about about potential kind of trade-offs. Um, and I think that one of the strengths of of the FICA report is very much that it's that you're trying to make things kind of player-led and and understand what the players want. On on the pay point, um, one of the interesting things um, about the kind of um, the, the ranking system and what and what FICA are calling for in terms of pay is that you're not explicitly calling for equal pay. You're calling for um, for what's termed pay parity between men's and women's cricket, um, and that seems to be defined as um, the women earning kind of thirty percent um, or, or above of, of what the men's cricketers in that particular country earn. Um, is is that a radical enough ambition for women's cricket? Do you think? So I think just it, it may be worth me just clarifying the so that um, the point that you've drawn on there comes out of our professionalisation maturity curve, um, which is is one of the key parts of the report, which effectively sets out as we see it um, some of the pathways and key targets that we would like to see the game and and countries hitting um, as the game develops through amateur stage right up through to established professional stage. Um, and it, it looks at some of the key metrics across pay and, and investment is one key area, but also across a load of other areas, again, informed by the players as to what they think is important in the game professionalising. And that's that includes things like volume of cricket, access to best practice facilities, player support structures, um, employment terms and conditions, etc. So that's probably just to provide a bit of context on that maturity curve where you've um, where you've drawn on that point on we on the on the investment and the pay points we absolutely advocate for gender equity models that will achieve equal pay as the game grows and professionalizes and the starting point for that um, is equal remuneration and conditions for men's and women's players for work of equal value which is that's a core principle of our movement from world players association level down um, and also, I think it's important to remember that we're looking at this globally, not just through the lens of a couple of the bigger countries. And um, and as I've alluded to, the women's game is still basically amateur in most cricket-playing countries. So we're looking at countries starting at almost level zero with basically no discernible professional structure on the women's side right through to the countries who are leading in this space. And um, just to draw out perhaps a little bit of, of the thinking on the the investment and pay side, the starting point in our framework is urging for countries to build models um, that are built around, at a minimum, an equal base rate of investment and pay, um, and then also addressing the question of value um, through a loading, which ensures there is equal pay for work of equal value. And we want the women's game and players to be valued equally to the men's game and in quantifying value in addition to that equal base rate of investment and pay point we're urging the development of models that cater cater for historical underinvestment in the women's game which i think we all uh, hopefully acknowledge is the case that, that the game hasn't been invested in a, a, to the level that we think it should have historically um, that needs to be addressed in those models um, as does at this point in time recognizing current commercial values and, and where they lie as well. And in time, we expect that each of those things will balance out as the game is invested in and promoted properly. And as women's players have more access to more cricket and, and that historical underinvestment is addressed. So 
the models that we're advocating for are about taking away the randomness and trying to ensure there's some scientific models in place that can absolutely expedite that move through the professionalization um, metrics that, that we're looking at and, um, and, and making sure that over time that's, um, that, that's certainly something that can happen. And also, I guess, just finally, the, the comparison point that we're using um, in terms of all these metrics is the top performing men's cricket economies. So they're the benchmark um, that, that we want the game to hit. So in terms of that threshold that you've talked about, um, what we're saying is that to reach that top threshold using top performing men's economies as the benchmark, um, that, that's what we wanted to push through and beyond. And, and we look forward to seeing more countries push, push through that 30% mark, which is a, a threshold that we've used and beyond um, clearly as, as the game grows and professionalizes. And it's certainly not the case that we're saying once it's above 30% pull up stumps, that's job done. Well, well done everyone. Um, that's for the purpose of our maturity curve. That's, that's a threshold we've set that we want to see countries pushing through as they work through those categories. Fantastic. Um, well, that's, that's really great to have that clarification and um, it's brilliant to hear such kind of radical aspirations for, for the women's game. That's really exciting. And hopefully we can all kind of work together to achieve that. Um, I thought that the um, the kind of four ranking system um, or the, the sort of um, from established professional at the top um, through to amateur at the bottom was a really interesting ranking system. Um, but it, it just um, from our um, English context, it seemed slightly um, maybe unfair or incongruous that England, um, which until 2019, we had the semi-professional Kia Super League um, was ranked on a par with um, South Africa and, and West Indies, um, where the domestic game for women is still entirely amateur, whereas obviously Australia were ranked above us. Now, of course, there's this ongoing rivalry between um, ourselves and Australia. So, you know, maybe that's why it rankled a bit. But um, <laughs> why do you think that that's maybe slightly unfair on, on England and the, the progress that the ECB um, were, were already making um, before 2020 in terms of um, trying to professionalise their domestic structure. Yeah, good, uh, that's a good point. And look, I, um, the, we absolutely acknowledge that particularly England and, England and Wales is a great example of a country that particularly probably in the last 12, 18 months has made some really significant steps um, in the women's game in terms of how, how they're structuring up and, and looking forward to the future. And obviously the announcement of the 100 in recent times, um, as well as some further structural changes at county level as well. We absolutely acknowledge that that progress has been made. Um, that's a lot of, as you've pointed out as well, this is a retrospective report that's recording things at a specific point in time. Um, and so that progress we clearly acknowledge it and, and that'll fall into future report periods as well. Um, I think in terms of some of the metrics that we've used um, in our ranking system and in the, in the professionalization maturity curve also relate to, um, to, to how employment structures are put together and, um, and how uh, on a collective basis, the game is, is approaching certain areas. And I think, one of the things that we would see from a players association perspective that um, that Australia has led on historically is um, in terms of um, getting both the men's and the women's players 
under the same collective bargaining agreement for starters um, and, and making sure that there's, um, there's equity in a lot of the way that things are being dealt with, certainly in the employment space as well. And we know that England and Wales is moving in that direction, absolutely, and, and there's significant progress being made. Um, but at the specific point in time that the, the judgment calls in this report made, um, that, that's where sort of that traffic light system sat. So I can assure you that um, from our perspective, it's not a, um, there's no, the Australian and England rivalry doesn't um, doesn't necessarily factor into to, to how we're putting those rankings together. It's, um, it's where those judgments have been made at a specific point in time, acknowledging the, the more recent significant progress that's been made. Great. And the aim is um, going forward is to do one of these reports on, on women's cricket annually, is it? So we do these biannually. Um, and the reason for that is um, in order to, I guess, give, given, as you pointed out, the pace of change is reasonably slow. Um, we want to make sure that the report period captures enough for, for the reports to be meaningful um, and, and, and really help with the cricket landscape. So at the moment, these are on the, both the men's and the women's side, these reports are biannual. Fantastic. Well, um, I look forward to reading the next one in a, in a couple of years' time and hopefully we'll be out the other side of the pandemic by then and, um, and lots more progress has been made. Thank you so much for your time, Tom. No problem. Thanks for having me, Raf. Raf, that was a fascinating interview. Um, now, what really stood out for you about what Tom had to say on the, on the state of the women's game in the report? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. There's loads in there. Um, I think there were a few things that stood out, um, but I'm going to talk about women's tests and his response to that, because I thought that he gave a really um, interesting kind of measured response to that. And um, obviously, in some respects, what he was saying was that in the whole interview was that what Fika are trying to do is look at um, the women's game as a whole in every single different country. And in countries like, I don't know, say Afghanistan or um or Sri Lanka or Zimbabwe, where actually the women's game is really struggling. Um, thinking about women's test cricket is just kind of not even really um, in their current thinking at the moment. Um, and so actually, from our perspective, um, it's like, oh, women's test cricket is really important. But he's saying, well, actually, we have to take a wider view. And the other thing that he said that I thought was really interesting about test cricket was that potentially it's actually a trade off at the moment between more women's tests versus more women being able to have careers in the women's game. Um, and I, people do people have sort of said, oh, it's about money at the end of the day. So I'm not naive about that. Um, but the actual idea that it could end up being a trade-off between um, more women's tests and more professionalism in women's cricket is, um, is something that nobody's quite put it to me like that in those terms before. So I thought that was really interesting. And also kind of quite a pertinent point and something to think about and he also said that ultimately what it comes down to is it's about what the players think and it's about player voice and he said you know it's something that we need to ask the players about in future so I think that's probably something that FIGA are open to in their next survey of female players is actually asking them directly what they think um, and you know potentially if there is then that trade-off to be made then um, you know, that could be something that they, they think about in future. Um, so, yeah, lots to think about there. And I guess the other point that he made in relation to women's tests was that it's important that um, the women's game isn't just copying what the men's game does. 
Now, I think that that's um, a little bit problematic in in terms of actually that if Test cricket is the premier format in men's cricket, which it, it is, then um, women players are kind of going to grow up with that being their normalised um, thing that they aspire to do. And you can't just suddenly remove that. Um, cricket is so kind of um, joined up in that way I think so I think that's a difficult one and the other thing is that where we're at with the governance of the game actually it's quite difficult for women's cricket now to go off and do its own thing so it really does come back to this argument about well wasn't it better when um, the women's game was actually run by people who cared um, a bit more about women's cricket than they did about men's cricket and could actually go off in their own direction and do their own thing is that is that therefore an argument for devolution of the governance of women's cricket is that going to be something that Vika come to in the future it probably wouldn't have been fair to ask Tom Moffat that Tom Moffat that question um but yeah no it was, it was a great interview what stood out for you Sid well I think what stood out for me was one of the key challenges that he mentioned about the way that the ICC functions um I think that he emphasized and clearly understands that that actually for an international governing body the ICC just aren't that powerful mm. uh, and that's a reality that we all we all have to accept um, that it's it's very much a federation. It's it's a much weaker body than you know some sports like Formula One say, where you know the world governing body F1 is is just you know all powerful and can do whatever it wants. But the ICC essentially has no power whatsoever, really, in of itself. You know the laws are dictated by the MCC. Um, you know the the, the budgets and the, you know almost every decision is subject to veto effectively. Um, by India or Australia or England, yeah. um, so that they're actually quite weak for a governing body, and that makes it a, a big particular challenge for FIFA to kind of engage with that because they're engaging with a body that is can't actually just stamp its foot and make decisions, um, but still think it's really important that they're doing that. And I think that, that voice is really important. And I thought it was a great interview with Tom. So th thanks so much for Tom to to come to come on the vodcast yeah. and you know to to talk with you about that. Okay. Well, um, that's been quite, quite a lot for this week. Um, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Take care. Bye.